Carry On Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland, and today we are here with a good friend and mentor of mine, Laura Beth Messimer. Laura Beth is the founder and CEO of G.I. Josie. Uh, G.I. Josie is a nonprofit based in Monterey County, and G.I. Josie is designated to provide non-clinical therapeutic programs to women veterans who suffer from military sexual trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. Hi, Laura. How are we doing today? Hi, Lindsay. I'm well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Thank honored. You for being here. I'm excited Absolutely. to chat with you. It's been a while, so we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's been a long time. A year and a half or something like that. Yeah. 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 It's been a while since I've been in your neck of the woods. So let's talk about let's start talk let's talk about GI Josie and then we'll go into some of the, the details. But tell me about and tell our listeners about GI Josie and how it got started and what uh, what you're doing with it. Well, um, with COVID, things have really, we've had to really adjust, but we, we um, incorporated in 2014 um, as a nonprofit, as you said, for women veterans who've been sexually assaulted or harassed uh, while serving in the military. And um, we started this, we, uh, my brother and myself, he is co-founder, we started this because my daughter was in the Navy and while she was in the Navy, she was assaulted by someone in her chain of command. Um, I was, I was so naive. I had no idea that this was even a thing that this even happened. Um, I always thought the military was based on, you know, codes of honor and respect and integrity. And to me, those two things, parts of the equation didn't add up. And so I started doing some research on it and found that, yeah, this is pretty prevalent. And we couldn't find, my brother and I could not find um, a place that would help women veterans in, in, with our vision um, in that providing them a place where they can um, um, access all kinds of different therapies whenever they need it, 24 hours a day, because you're not just feeling badly from nine to five when doctor's offices are open. You, this, as many women know, goes on in perpetuity sometimes. And, and if you wake up at two in the morning and you've got the night sweats or you've got a nightmare or you're, something's happening with anxiety and you need to work it out, we wanted a place where you can go um, play the piano or, or go talk to your horse or walk a dog or, you know, or, or have an art room where you can just throw paint against the wall, anything that you need to do to help work it out. Because I don't think that that, that is, I don't think it's healthy to be able to have to hang on to that until the doctor's office is open. And then when you do get to the doctor, it's, I'll see you next Tuesday. So you still have to wait. We wanted something that was really immediately available for women so that they can work out their traumas as as they come on, as they feel them. Because we feel that these little moments of sunshine will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what our goal for all of them is that they leave. Our goal for all of them is that they're so happy and they're so okay that they can carry on now on their own without having to have this this 24-hour support. So, so that's year where we did started. you start this? 2014. 2014. Okay, so you guys have been at it for a good amount of time this, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so we have we've had um, we've had properties targeted, but have not been able to secure the funding in order to get those properties. And so, right before COVID happened, we were providing programs. We had an equine therapy program. We were partnering with a ranch. Um, whose owner is an Air Force veteran, and so he totally understood our mission, and he gave us, he donated a part of his ranch to us so that we can create the Josie area of the ranch so women have a place to go where they can they can either just hang out with the horses or some women just went to do homework, some were in school, and they just wanted a quiet, secluded uh, place where they can do homework and have a have quiet time and and some people some women went just to sit and it overlooks this beautiful valley and the peace and serenity that it comes to you just from being there and hanging out with the horses i don't know if anyone here is it has equine um, um, relationships, shall we say, because that's what it turns out to be is you, you form relationships with the horses. And it's just, it's magical because you have to, you have to leave your traumas at the gate because the horses are so intuitive. They're prey animals. And so they're always on the alert and, and they can sense 
what you're what you're bringing to the table with them. So you have to be in the present, and it really really helps to um, to help women again find these little pockets of peace where they don't have to think about their traumas and they don't have to feel those traumas. They can just be there in the present one-on-one -on -one with the horse. And so that's what we were trying to, to accomplish with that. We also have, um, which was really popular, Blue Water Project, which is um, anything under, over, above, around water. Uh, when COVID struck and we had to shut it down, uh, women were getting in the, in the ocean and learning how to surf and bodyboard. And it's really amazing about that. It's so transformational. There's so some women who, um, where claustrophobia is one of these, one of the side effects of their, of their traumas. And in order to get into the water, you need to get into a wetsuit. And that was just a real challenge for some because it's, it's such a confining um, piece of clothing, but those who are able to do it, you can just see that. Oh my God, I was able. I do this. I'm still alive. I'm here to talk about it, you know. And then they get in the water, and there's a lot of trepidation with that because the ocean is. If you're not used to it, that can be. That's a pretty powerful, you know, experience to get in and have all this power coming at you. But getting them out was a whole different story. It's just like, you know, trying to pull teeth to get them out. Okay, time's up. We've got to go. It's been two hours. And it's like, no, we want to stay. This is awesome. And it literal transformation on that. And they carry that transformation with them. They carry those feelings. They carry that happiness, that joy with them. And it totally radiates to the rest of their life. And so this is, that's what we were trying to provide for these women. So who do you do the Blue Water Project through? Um, it's we have a director who was um, who was a part of a project called the Wahini Project here in Monterey County, and um, they work with women and children who've experienced domestic violence. And so um, she is a Rotarian. I'm a Rotarian. I spoke at her her club at one of her meetings, and she came up to me afterwards and she said, "I need to work with you. I need to be your director." And she's just been a godsend. She's an amazing woman, and and our women just really really love her so um and she still offers to work on them one-on-one -on -one, even though we're closed um but now that we've been shut down even more even that's been put on hold until uh, until the governor you know allows us to to meet again so so yeah so what has that done with the covid closures what has that done to the nonprofit and the things that you're working on i mean do you still reach out to these women or do you what are what is going on um, well, up until last Tuesday, when things were really slammed shut again, we were working on a project, an art project, that where we are partnering with the, with the uh, Arts Council for Monterey County um, with a grant through the state of California to create a monument tribute to women veterans that would be here in Monterey County. And so we, women veterans were coming together, and we were we were in the plant, literally just in the planning stages of what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. Um, how it's going to unfold and play out, and then we were shut down again. So, um, so that is on hold. We we have written to the state of California, going, you know what? We didn't shut us down. You shut us down. We need an extension on the grant. So, hopefully, that will come through, and we'll still be able to complete that next year. Um, for right now, we've had to put the equine project on hold because that's one and it's too close the we're, the proximity is too close we've had to shut blue water down so nearly everything we do is shut down except one project and that's the write on project and that's creative writing and we're able to at a place where we can keep distance um, if we have too many women that meet we'll have to shut that down too because we're we're limited to the number of people that can meet together um, but um, I still keep in contact with them um, through Zoom, through uh, I'm uh, constantly texting or calling or connecting or somehow just letting people, letting them know that we're still here for them. If they need us for anything, we're still here for them. And we do have a couple of women that are really and truly on the edge and really, really struggling. And, and so we are... Um, virtually holding their hands, trying to, you know, walk them through this, this crisis. They came into it terribly compromised with horrible traumas. And the shutdown and the isolation is, it has just really been 
um, challenging for them. And so we're, we're here to support them and do what we can to help them make it through the process and make it through the crisis. Yeah, and as we both know, and we talked about earlier, that uh, women that have gone through MST or post-traumatic stress disorder experiences are already isolating. So now... Right. Oh, self-isolating. Absolutely. Just, you know, on a good day, they would... Getting out of bed was, you know, uh, yay, look what I did. So, um, but there's a lot of women that just stay behind, close their blinds and just stay in the house because this is their comfort zone. This is where they know that no one's going to hurt them. No one's going to touch them. They'll go out to the doctor. They'll go out to their, to their, you know, to their group therapies and that sort of thing. But other than that, they're home. A lot of women um, use um, Instacart in order to, so they don't have to go shopping. So, um, so yeah, they do whatever they can to isolate on their own. And now that we're totally down, they don't even have the option of sometimes even going to the doctor because it's telemed. So, um, you know, it's just, it just really, really, truly has really, really hampered them. And I feel very badly for them. And we're doing, like I said, we're doing what we can just to let them know that we still love them. We, I, it's not my, it's, it, it's not my doing that I can't see you, but I do, we do have to follow the mandates. And so, um, and just for everyone's safety and for everyone's health, we have to follow the mandates. So we're doing that to the best of our ability. So in the meantime, though, you, and as you're staying in contact, you have a lot of other projects that you've been working on, right? So uh the Josie Zoom project uh, uh what what it, we're really in the talking stages with this i've just reached out to someone who has a recording studio and what we would like to do is create a platform whereby women veterans and actually now that i think about it active duty military women as well um can um, have a platform where they can share their story t with total anonymity because a lot of women just feel like they're not heard. They feel like the, the community at large does not understand what they're going through, what they've gone through, uh, the traumas that they've gone through on top of the actual trauma, the trauma to get through, to report, to the, the whole night. It's a, it's a gambit of, of things that these women, these hoops that these women have to jump for jump through. And, um, and I feel that giving them a platform to be heard, it will be very therapeutic for them. We can alter their voice. We can, of course, they can hide behind the camera on Zoom, behind the video, so they don't have to be seen. So they can actually, stories can actually, actually be told from not on a, not a secondhand basis, but, but from the actual victim of these horrible crimes. Yeah, and I definitely think that you'll have more women come forward if they don't have to show their face and they don't have to show, you know, um, they right. don't have to show because that way they can tell their story and they can still, they can still um, kind of hide behind it, but at least their story is out there. And that can be very right, therapeutic. Exactly. Right, they can change their name. They can, you know, they, if they want it, if they want their face on, they can wear a wig, they can do whatever they want to do. All we want to do is give them a comfortable space where they can be heard. And so that's a, this is just literally in the starting, in the planning stages. So I don't expect to get it up before maybe the end of January, um, because there's a lot of things that we have to accomplish in order to make it happen. But yeah, that's one of our, that's one of our goals. And I think that this is something that can be um, accomplished very easily during the COVID um, shutdown. And I also think because of the I Am Vanessa Guillen movement, which we've been watching unfold, uh, that you will have more women that will want to come forward because it is a time where women in the military are telling their stories or they at least feel more comfortable telling their stories. Right, right, absolutely. And it, this is going to be for women nationwide. This is not going to just be for Monterey County women. We don't have a corner on the market for women who have been um, assaulted while serving. So um, I'll put it out to um, to my contacts with the VFW and American Legion and Disabled American Vets and all the all the organizations that we're part of um, in order to let women know that you can tell your story and you can be safe. There's We have a couple of women right off my head who won't have their picture taken because they're afraid for it to go on social media because they don't want to be stalked. 
And so they still know that they're, they're abusers out there. And so we want to, and this would be a perfect platform for them to be able to say, this is what happened. And this is why I'm still scared. This is why I'm still frightened. This is why I need to be in the shadows is because this has happened to me and I don't have the support from the military um, in order to feel safe yet. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I think you can do a lot with it, especially with it being on Zoom. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that you, different ways that you can go with it that will be very productive. Right, right. Um, and then as far as um, your thoughts on the I'm um, Vanessa Guillen bill, because um, you have obviously known this has been an issue for a long time, years prior to this bill coming out. And, you know, it, as you know, it has taken a long time for this bill mm -hmm. to come out and the problem right. has been there. So you've seen it for years now um, up close and personal. So what do you feel? How do, what do you feel about the I'm Vanessa Guillen bill? How do you feel? And how do you feel about the movement? Um, I, I, I am all for it. I am, I totally back this movement. I think it's high time. I'm really, really happy that Jackie Spear is spearheading this, if you will, <laughs> um, because, because she's a perfect person to do it, in my opinion. Um, I am, um, I know, or I don't know, I, I'm familiar with the length of time it takes legislation to get through um, any committees and, you know, and voting and all that kind of stuff. So I don't see it happening immediately. I know she wants it to be um, something to be done by the end of the year. Um, that's six weeks away. I don't know if in this environment um, it, it's pretty volatile up there in DC. So I don't know if it'll happen with it within this length of time. Um, I was reading through it and um, I like the fact that a, uh, a standalone military offense for sexual harassment is being considered. I'm, I'm happy that it's not being lumped into something else. It does need to be, it, it does need to stand on its own. Um, sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, are, um, are, are heinous enough crimes, in my opinion, that they shouldn't be buried uh, it, it with anything else. They need to be on their own. So I'm really, really happy to see that. Um, I'd love to be able to see, and I don't know if it's, if, it's, um, if it's a possibility, but I would love to see prosecutions taken out of the military hands altogether. Um, I don't know the ins and outs or the intri uh, intri uh, what's the word I'm looking for the intricateness of um, of how things work to know if that's even a possibility. But in my opinion, that's how women will find justice. Um, in my opinion, if it stays in the military, there will uh, there will always be a chance that again it's going to get buried under the rug. And these women need to know that that they don't have to they don't have to fight to get justice that they will these these uh, mandates these laws have been set into place and this is how it's going to roll and um it's not just a oh maybe or maybe this this chain of command is is you know still very misogynistic and so we're not going to take a look at it and i think that there's too many nuances in the military that allow it to still be buried I think it, in my opinion, it needs to come out of the military altogether and be done in civilian courts. Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about this because I, um, I obviously am familiar with the MST issue, but I worked for a congressman who was, I was a fellow in his office who was on the Armed Service Committee, mm -hmm. and he was on the opposite side. So he wanted to keep the prosecution, or I wouldn't say prosecution, but the UCMJ actionable um, mm -hmm. item on you know inside the command and um i listened to him a lot because we would have conversations you know after we had the hearings and he would talk and he, you know he he had valid points about well once you take that out of the commander's control then what else are you going to take and you know it just starts it start it kind of starts a daisy chain effect of losing command and control and it made you know it made sense to me what he was saying but then i also know that He's a man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and of course, not to say that men do, are not sexually assaulted as well, sure. but he's well, a man. Right, he's a man. And of course, like he isn't going to like exactly and identify or understand what women go through or mm -hmm. being, you know, because you're the majority of the population in the military, you don't understand what it's like to report and you don't understand those things. So as much as 
I respected his opinion. I also thought that he was not able to see the other side by no ignorance of his own, but just because he wasn't able to see the other side. Right, right, exactly, um, exactly. And so he would always have plenty to say um, about Jackie Spear and, you know, her plans for things. And, you know, she's very animated and she's fun to watch. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. But, uh, but she's other- passionate. This is a, this she, is she's so passionate about this. And she that's is. what we need. She that's is. Exactly. You know, you got to give the woman credit because she will get out there and she will have her posters ready and she will have her briefs ready. And she's on it. I mean, she yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. And then I, they had a press conference. She did a press conference with, uh, I believe it was uh, Minority Veteran. No, was Minority Veteran. Minority Veterans of America. They did a press conference and I went down and watched it. And I actually ended up joining in in the press conference, standing in the back, you know, because I believe in this. But yeah. Uh, but it was it was really cool to be in DC and to actually see like that movement kind of taking place. And then Vanessa Guillen's family was there and they spoke, and it yeah. was just really cool to see um, to see the support that's behind it. Yeah. Oh, she's the perfect voice. I, I, in my opinion, she is. This women need her, and um, and women know that uh, w- women veterans know that she's not going to back down. She is, she's going to do everything she can within her power to protect them and to create uh, legislation that is to their best benefit. So, um, and then I was having a conversation with, um, I was on one of my dates. I had a, we were talking about this and he had been a, the gentleman I was talking to had worked at the academy. I uh, had gone back as staff in the academy as a colonel and he had been part um uh, he, I think he had been a Sarker and then had been part of the sharp training. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he brought up a good point to me and he said that if you take that responsibility of prosecuting or of, you know, investigating, I know CID does most of it, but, you know, involving the command, if you take that out of the command's hands, then you, you relieve them to focus on the mission and the other things that they need to focus on and you leave it to the experts to take care of the investigation and like how you know, how everyone is dealt with and like moving, you know, moving the soldier to wherever they need to be moved or all these things. Like you take that out of the command's hand so they can focus on other things. And I thought about that and I was like, you know, that's a really good point because commanders are not trained. I mean, they may be now, but when I was a commander, like I was barely trained on like how to Mm -hmm. handle these situations. And, and quite frankly, it wasn't that I didn't care, but a lot of times I was too busy to like know exactly right. what should be done without making a couple phone calls, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, you know what I, between those two, the, the, the congressperson that you work for and, and this gentleman, I, I will fall into, into, into this one's um, field because I believe that I don't think that taking it away from the commander starts a slippery slope. I don't think that just because this is taken away does that mean that anything else has to be taken away? This is, and especially if we create this standalone offense and it won't be, it, it's not coupled in with anything else, then only the legislation can be written so only these offenses are taken out and given to those experts in the civilian community who that's all that they do. I think that's a really, really good point. The commander, as you would know, having been one, has has a full plate, has a ton of things to do. And this is such a specialized field. This is a, spe- a specialized um, uh, a form of, of law, I think, that it, it takes it takes professionals. It takes people who do it. That's all that they do a hundred percent of the time. And I think those are the people who need to step in to help these women find the justice that they, justice they deserve. They didn't go in to be assaulted. They didn't go to the military to be assaulted. They went in to find the enemy, to fight the enemy if they needed to, and they didn't expect to find the enemy within their own ranks. They shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to constantly be watching their back for is today the day I'm going to be assaulted. That's, that's just absurd. Right. And going, back, going back to what you were saying as well with the commanders, um, it's it, when you have someone in your unit that that reports, whether it's restricted or unrestricted, like it's it's hard to know how to, to talk to that person. Like these are things that like, that, you know, you're taught. So it's like, what do I say? Mm-hmm. What do I, and you're kind of like not sure how to handle the situation. And I had a um, issue where I had had someone report something to me and I opened up a commander's inquiry 
instead of going to, I found out later probably CID, but I was looking at it as like, it was, to me, it was like, it wasn't a sexual assault, but it was, um, you know, potentially someone watching my soldier shower in the field. And I opened up a commander's inquiry because I didn't know the difference. Yeah. And, and right. had like, and I probably did have training and I probably was just not that great of a commander, but. Oh, no, give yourself but, care. Come on now. But, but. I mean, there was a lot. And then later on, when I had left my command, she reported again that, oh, I report, I had reported this to my commander and here I hadn't handled it correctly. And had, if I had been able to hand this over and I probably could have, could have at the time, but if I had known to hand this over and there was something, another entity that, that would, I don't want right. to say deal with this because that's not the right word, but that's how you but feel. It is the, but no, it is the right word because I, and I told totally you this appropriately. You. Exactly. You know, and that, that te- it should be a team of clinicians and, and people that are, that are trained to um, not only, not only help these women get through these traumas, but also to be able to um, uh, uh, make the assailant accountable for what they have done. And I just think that there are too many of those people that just, you know, slide right on through and are not held accountable for what they've done. Well, that brings up then a good point. One of the bullets is the, is the database. Um, oh, right. Tell me about that. I, I, I did read that. Yeah. So from my understanding is that if they are like, let's say, let's say um, a soldier reports that they've been sexually harassed by someone and there's an investigation and it's, it's unfounded. So we're just, we're just, you know, mm-hmm. use an example. So then that soldier moves to a different base mm-hmm. and now there's another one. Um, and maybe yeah. it's unfounded again because he's really good at it. Mm-hmm. And so he, he knows how to find someone who's vulnerable and he, you know, he's, he's got it down. He's been in the army long enough to know where the weak points are. And so then my understanding is that this database will at least show that there has been other claims. The track record is there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. That's a, that is a great idea. Well, and I know a lot of times too, that, that men will have had issues or I should say soldiers, soldiers will have had issues uh, and have been convicted of sexual harassment or sexual assault, and then we'll leave the military, and then there's no record of it on the civilian side. Mm-hmm. So you're like, yeah. okay, how right. is that true? I mean, that's what I—that's my understanding of how that, that has worked in the past. And it could be reversed as well. They could have had um, been sexually have sexually assaulted someone in the civilian world, gone into the military, and the military doesn't know about this, but yet they're bringing that behavior with them, and now they have a whole a whole bunch of you know brand new people that they can that they can go after. So, um, and I'm sure that it happens in, in basic training too. I'm, I've I've heard of. You know, I don't know anyone personally, and I don't, I don't have, you know, war markets to that. But, um, but you have heard of stories of, um, of cadets being assaulted while they're in any one of the uh, basic training, you know, camps. Is that what they're called? I don't know what they're called. Uh, let's see, so. <laughs> basic training. Yeah, I guess basic training camp. I don't know. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't sound right. I think just basic. Basic training. Basic training. Maybe we yeah. don't put the camp yeah. behind it. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Edit that out, please. <laughs> um, and then also I noticed the bill has uh, the last portion is establish a process by which service members can make claims and seek compensation for damages against DOD mm-hmm. for harass- for sexual assault and sexual harassment. Now, that's an interesting one. That's interesting. And I thought about that. And, and isn't there something in... Uh, um, pardon my ignorance because I've not been in the military and I've not had to sign those contracts and so I don't know any of those or the UCMJ any of that but isn't there something stating that a soldier cannot sue the government yes especially for like medical health or mm-hmm. um, malpractice or yes mm-hmm. there is yeah so I think I think that's I, I love the idea but I think that's going to be a real challenge because that is upending years and years, millennia years of what has been on the books. And so I think that's going to take, that'll be a struggle to get that across the finish line. But I, I think it's a good idea. 
I really mm-hmm. do. I think that I think that women right now should be able to, to sue the government for be, breach of contract for because I don't think there's anything in the contract that you sign that says, yeah, put a target on my back because I want to be a victim of sexual assault. I don't think there's anything in there for that. Yeah, so, for their overall self safety right, and well-being. Right, right. So, um, but I know it would never happen. I th- I think that I think that any man or woman, because you mentioned earlier that men are also sexually assaulted. Totally agree with that. We are focusing on women because it started out with my daughter. But in our 10-year plan, we have a plan to put a, a, a Josie Ranch together for men as well. So because we recognize that there, there are, there's a, a subpopulation of, of men who are also assaulted, and that's got to be just really insanely more difficult for them to come forward. Um, you know, having, I mean, the macho-ness of the, of the military does not equate to an, a, a sexual assault for a man. So it's just got to be a, an insane um, experience, ugly experience for them to have to go through. So, um, and we want to recognize that that happens. We don't want them to think, we don't want men to think that we're, we're totally ignoring their traumas. We're not. Yeah, and I'm just being insensitive because I didn't include everybody in it, but yeah. No, that's okay. No, uh, no, no, you're not. I don't think you're being insensitive at all. I think that it just needs to be said that everyone recognizes that men are also victims. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and we want to recognize that they go through these traumas as well. Well, and I think it will also be interesting too, is because I, I do think this bill will pass and I do think it, it will um, come to do fruition. Think, do you but, think it'll pass as written? Ah, well, it has a companion bill in the Senate, so that's always a good sign. I was looking at oh, the, okay. I was looking at the co-signers, so I believe uh, the House bill has a hundred and or co-sponsors. I'm sorry, so the that one has a hundred and eighty, and I did not see what the what the Senate companion bill, uh, which is S forty six hundred, has. But um, I had heard, I have heard that uh, <laughs> that. Jackie Spear plans on shaming people that don't get on that bill or that are not on that bill, which if that's the tactic that she needs to use, then by all means, yeah, Jackie, I, carry yeah, on. I'm, just say, I'm all for it. <laughs> Do what it takes. So I was so checking that, to is, see who was on that bill. My boss is not on it. Of course, I'm not saying who it was, but you know, he's yeah, not on yeah, it. Yeah. But when, of and of course, because the, the bill is going through the armed service committee, We'll yeah. see when the Republican side kind of comes around on that, but it's it's definitely interesting to see who's so, on that bill right now and who's not. Mm-hmm. So oh. that's this is I'm definitely watching this. This is high time. I'm I'm I I am. My heart goes out to Vanessa's family. My heart goes out to anyone's family who has gone through this, um, man or woman. But I I really and truly believe that um, if if. If, if the only thing good coming out of her experience and her passing is a bill that protects other women, then, um, yeah, Jackie Spear is the one to do it. And, and, um, and bless her heart, you know? Yeah. Just, I, yeah just, I, I mean, Vanessa Gaines is, is definitely an icon and, and yeah. you know, we never say that that wasn't a horrible travesty in the poor yeah. family, but yes, yeah. if the outcome can be, that sexual assault prosecution is taken out and moved to a second or third party, then, then yeah, we've made taking some, a lot more seriously. I think we've made a lot of progress, and I feel like also one of those women who's like, well, when I was in the military, it wasn't like that, and so yeah. I can see women who are out of the military now, and and mainly those that are still suffering would be like, wow, I wish, I wish I had had that too. I wish that was, was there Absolutely. for me. We have, we have a woman in Josie who served in the Navy. Uh, she got out in 1978. So that'll tell you how long ago it was. And her, her conversations with me have been, you don't even discuss it. You don't even broach a subject. There is you, you'll be laughed out of any conversation because that just doesn't happen. We don't talk about it. And she said she, she has obviously been watching the evolution as things have, have become more, um, more upfront and more open. And she's really, really happy to see that finally, that finally something is being done, something positive is being done to help women who have been assaulted. She um, experienced a, um, um, she experienced a trauma, I think it was about five years ago, I'm trying to think exactly when, um, that brought all this back. And she, because of 
the um, environment in which she retired um, and wasn't able to discuss it, she, um, she started literally dealing with these traumas that she had way back in the military. She started dealing with them just not, just five years ago. So she's had to relive and re-go through and, and all that kind of stuff um, in, in, in a short amount of time, but there's a lot more available to her now than there was back then. When you say available, what do you mean as far as programs or? Uh, programs, group, um, group therapies, um, clinicians that will deal with this. Um, you know, it's just been, there just wasn't anything available back in 1978 um, to address any kind of sexual harassment or trauma or abuse or anything like that. It was non-existent at that point, she said. But she's now, this, this trauma that triggered her memories has come at a time where she can seek out help. And there is now help for those who've, who've uh, gone through these traumas. So, but that she's dealing with it, what, 40 years later, you know, 42 years later, is that just goes to show you it doesn't go away. It stays with you. If you don't deal with it, if you, if you bury it or shelf it, it's going to come out. It'll find its way out eventually. So that this, these things are happening right now. This allows women to deal with the traumas today so they can put it behind them. They can learn how to live with it because obviously it happened. And so you don't, you don't want to ever say, get over it. It's no, it's, you know, it's no big deal. You just kind of learn to live with it. You learn that it's a, there's a new normal with this as part of your history. So, but it allows them to do that. It doesn't, it, it means that you don't have to hang on to it for 40 years before you can address it. Yeah. Cause I think if you get help, um, immediately or at least start to see there, you know, start to see a therapist, you can really ease the right secondhand trauma that goes with it. And like you were talking about her experience. So I kind of grew up in the air in the military where, uh, we still weren't moving victims from units, so we were keeping the perpetrator oh. and the victim, and and you know that none of, it wasn't prosecuted, so it would have been alleged perpetrator and victim mm, still right. keeping them together in the same unit to see each other every day, and that changed while I was in, and then also changed the restricted to unrestricted reporting, mm-hmm. and as we know, uh, we've seen the numbers go up because well, um, I think so, and I. I believe that uh, I believe it to be true that the number that the reporting numbers did go up because people could could do restricted. Right. So I don't know that the cases went up, mm-hmm. but definitely the the mechanism for reporting the reporting numbers went up because people felt more comfortable reporting under under sure. restricted. Yeah, you're right. But you're right. I think it also was like they the army or DOD wasn't ready to to see this kind of explosion of cases because they didn't really believe it was there and then it kind of blew up in their faces and they're like oh well now we have all this reporting and it's kind of a lot crazier than we thought it is and now we have to admit that we have a bigger problem than we thought we had or that we wanted to admit that we had to the public there you go right right there you go it's interesting and also goes back to something we haven't touched on yet is so what happens when these cases do go to a third party do we see less prosecution or more prosecution? Because UCMJ, you can you can deliver UCMJ uh, punishment for lesser things that a lot of times uh, uh, prosecutors won't take over. Like let's just say like smacking someone's ass, right? So in the army, you could give UCMJ for, or you could give extra duty, or you could you know give mm-hmm. someone you know, there's an array of different things you can do, but then on the outside, are prosecutors going to take over those cases and right. are they going to... Right. So, uh, yeah. So once it's fine-tuned, once this passes and then everything is fine-tuned because it, that it, it in my vision, like I said, I, I'm not a DC regular, so I don't know how this works right, real well. But in my opinion, in my the way I see it is this is passed and then... And then um, a committee is formed to to um, create to create the the rules that go along with it, and so they whittle it down and they put this in that pile and put that in that pile and and eventually 
what'll what'll come out of it, what'll spit out is a bill that will that will do will address just that. This a smack on the butt is not going to go to the prosecutor. A smack on the butt will stay in the military. You know, and this, so there'll be a line as to where where it is that is handed over to a civilian uh, prosecutor or team, maybe is the right word. And that's going to take a team of very. Uh, I want to say military educated and people to figure out how, where that, oh, where those lines are. And that's going to take yeah. a lot of work. And I don't it's, think that yeah. these things are going to be enacted overnight and it's going to be a process that will probably look like an absolute disaster in the beginning. Like most probably. things that we, yeah. Well, yeah, but, but it's, but it's, it has that to start is, somewhere. Exactly. And that it is, that it is starting and that is, she is pushing through to the point of shaming people is awesome. So, but then it started and now the ball is rolling and now we can form the committee to, to like I said, to whittle it down and to, and to shape it the way it needs to be shaped. So, but, and you're right, it'll never happen overnight. It's because, because as we've seen how, how, you know, how conversations go um, in the military, excuse me, in the, in Congress, it's not always an easy discussion. And so there's gonna be a lot of back and forth and it'll, I think there's gonna to have to be a lot of give and take. But, um, but I think if she's at the helm, I think that, and there's a lot of other strong women that are in the Congress too. I'm not saying that Jackie's the only one, but, um, but I, I think that it'll take a little bit of time to, to, create, a, to create an actual bill that will, uh, that will really benefit the women who have been really seriously traumatized by sexual assault. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting. On another podcast, I was talking to someone. I don't know if they asked, I asked myself the question or they asked me the question, but the question was, uh, would you let your daughter join the military? Um, and I had to think about it for a second. And I was like, Ac actually, right the second, if I had a daughter, no. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I thought about how sad that was because um, I, I mean, I feel very, I've had my issues in the military, but I feel fortunate to the degree of the things the army has given me, mm -hmm. travel, leadership experience, um, you know, m numerous degrees, um, a foreign language, uh, t you know, time deployed and all those experiences. Sure. But, um, how sad is that? That I, yeah. you know, I think that, I think that that's really sad. And, um, it just made me think about, uh, it made, it made me really think about it, that I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't let my daughter join. And, and let me ask you this question. If you could go back in time and you could decide if you were going to let your daughter join, if it was in, in your hands, what would you decide? That's a good question. I think that, um, I think that we would have a really, a, a really good, long discussion about it. Um, I probably ultimately would let her make the decision but I would want her to go in with absolute knowledge of, um, of what happens. So, um, you know, my, I, I think at 18, most moms know their daughters well enough to be able to say, to be able to make that decision as to whether or not they're mature enough to make the decision to do that. Um, I believe that my daughter was mature enough to make the decision on her own. Um, in fact, she did make the decision on her own. She came home and told me while I was sitting at the kitchen table, she, she said, Mom, I have something to tell you. I said, okay, what? And so she, um, she came over and she had had an anchor tattooed on her hip in the front. Holy I said, shit. I said, I said, well, that's interesting. She was 18, you know. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So she said, yeah, um, sign the papers. And she had, she had never shared with me that she was looking into it. But she knew I was a single mom, and she knew she wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, and she knew as a single mom there's no way that I would be able to afford that. She didn't want to go into in debt. She didn't want to start practicing debt, and so that was her decision to do that. Now, did the and, tattoo come free with the enlistment, or, <laughs> <laughs> or was that separate? I think, I think it was done on the way home. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it um, – as she was, she was, um, she had a wherewithal to be able to figure it out. But in answer to your question, um, I would definitely, had I had a chance and had I known she was thinking about it, I definitely would have had um, a discussion with her to let her know 
Um, she, she had no inkling that something like this was going to happen to her, you know, and she's a very strong, she's still a very strong woman. She was a very strong young lady back then. Um, and she can very much hold her own circumstances of her growing up, um, forced her to grow up early. And so she was able to develop that, that leadership early and she had taken on, um, at a young age. And so, um, and so she was, uh, she was ready. It's, it's what she needed to do. She was ready. So, and she handled it very, very well. I have to tell you that she handled it extremely well while she's in the service. All she did was, you know, she said that she just, um, she shut everyone out and she, she put 110% of herself into her job and she became the person that you don't want to mess with. And, um, and so she just, she put on this, this very sturdy, strong outside veneer and just didn't let anybody in and just did her job and got out after six. So, um, so yeah, that's how, that's how she, she handled it. And, um, and I think part of her upbringing gave her the strength to be able to do that because she had to endure a lot while she was growing up. But I'm sure that that was no easy feat though, doing that while in the military, oh, you know, I mean, yeah. I imagine yeah. that was very rough on her. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. So, um, but she, um, but she did overcome it and it's part of her history. She never denies it. It was, it's part of what happened. She is part of her history, but it, it helps shape her to become the strong woman that she is today. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, so in answer to your question though, um, I, I didn't have choice at the time, so she did it on her own. But if, if it was, if it were different, um, I definitely would, knowing what I know now, I definitely would share it with her, yeah. But I mean, like, even if you're talking about, um, are you okay? <laughs> even if I'm you're talking, okay, <laughs> oh. even I'm if you're talking, you're so sweet. But even if you're talking about, like, let's say you're sitting down a woman today who's about to join, right, an 18 year old, and you're saying to them, so you can join, I support you as a parent, but this could happen to you. This, mm -hmm. these are the things that could happen to you. Like, I can't even imagine like from an eight year old. I mean, I got the chills just thinking about it right now, but like, I can't imagine what that would feel like as an 18 year old being like, okay, yes, you could go do this if this is something you want to do, but you could get sexually assaulted. You could get sexually harassed. And probably you will, if you're sitting down with someone, if the parent has knowledge and is paying attention to anything that's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how does that, you know, how does that how do you even start a career out like that? And, and I and I realize that thing, these things happen in the civilian world too. But I mean, we know that they're much more likely to happen in the military. So it's just uh, it's a it's a it's a yeah. Hey, this could happen to you. And hey, welcome to your new career. And you decide. And then it's like, oh, you decided to go. And well, so now. Yeah. Now, if right. this happens, you knew. And that's a horrible <laughs> way to sell somebody. That's like, well, you want to be a this, teacher, but this could happen to you. You know, right. you could. Well, this is, this is how I look at it. First of all, touching on your, um, on your comment, this is, happens in the civilian world, too. That's very, very true, except, uh oh am I running out of juice here? Dang, my battery's going low. Um, I'm, I might get knocked off my internet here in a minute. Um, the... Um, the fact of the matter is, in civilian world, you can quit your job and go someplace else. When you're in the military, you're in the military. You don't have that. You cannot go back and go. You know what? I changed my mind. I'm not this. I'm not into this. It's not for me. Uh, there's none of that. Uh, unless you want to leave with a dishonorable discharge, I suppose. But um, and so there is there there. Um, I think it's I think it's an apples and oranges type of, of um, comparison because I okay. think. That my freedom in the civilian world. Um, and with regards to um, laying it out on, all on the line. So I think that if you're old enough to make the decision to, um, and you're mature enough to make the decision to join the military, that, that you're mature enough to handle all the information that goes along with that. And I don't, I've never been to a recruiter, but I don't, doubt very many recruiters go, oh, by the way, post PS, you, this might happen to you. And I'm um, hitting on you right now while we're talking about it. And I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, by the way, happened to one of our women. Creepy, that, it's uh, creepy. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm no, laughing because it's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> she went into a Navy recruiter. It happened with a Navy recruiter, so she decided not to go to the Navy. She went to the Army, um, and the Army recruiter did the same thing. 
So yeah, she was, it was horrible. Anyway, um, so that's, that's my point to be have, to have an adult conversation. I think that's where I am going with that. If you're, if you're old enough to take on, want to take on the responsibility because you, as you know, you become an adult, you are, you are severed from your family for those six weeks or however long it is boot camp is, and you become that adult. You come out of there, a changed person, you come out of there, um, with, a, with a lot of uh, esprit de corps and all that. So, um, and, and that's, and, and if that's your choice, you have to go in with the knowledge of what might happen. Better than that's, just not having the knowledge, I guess, right? Right, 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 right. So in that way, I don't know if they, I don't know if preparing for it is the right word. I don't know. At least it's, it's, it, it, you can kind of you can kind of be on the lookout for it. You know, you can see the nuances. You know, when someone's hitting on you, you can kind of keep an eye out for that. Um, and it and it may be able to protect them. That information may be able to protect them from from an assault. Well, and so, also knowing um, through the sharp and the sark and the training that is given, you also know what what avenues you can go down to report it. Mm-hmm. And I right. think that that was something that for a long time, like you said. Yeah. You said with uh, someone else that you were talking about that was in in the 70s, like that wasn't even an option. So right. not that any of yeah. this is okay and not that we're minimizing anything, but that there are options out there for reporting. And you can, like you said, come in better educated. Um, right, right. So, and you're right. We have a long way to go. This bill is is a really good start. We have a long way to go before I think women can really feel safe. Um, and this is not to this is not to imply, by the way, that this happens to every single woman that goes into the military. It does not. You know, that's a really they're, good they're, point. That is a really good point. Right. We sound we sound so uh, you know like this. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. So and and then it also does not imply that every single time a report is made that the assailant is not held accountable. It's just that the majority of assailants are not, and um, and the percentage of women, I believe, last time I heard it's one in four, 25% of women in the military. That's a huge number. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a massive number. So you have a one in four chance of it happening to you. Yeah, so, um, but that's right. also to say that you have, right, but if you flip it around, that means that you have three out of four chances of it not happening to you. So, you know, it just, it just depends on how, how you want to look at it. And I think that I, there's like yourself, there's many women who have, who have, who have made really, really good careers in the military and who have been, um, have been very successful and have been able to come out the other side and, and be equally successful in the civilian world. So, um, so it's it's we're we're talking about the small percentage of women who are so traumatized that when they come out, they're on 100% disability for the rest of their life. They simply have been so broken that in order to put their pieces back together again, it takes a lifetime. Right, and the money and there is are those small. You know, a, a small. I don't even want to say. You know, the money doesn't even mean anything. No. Oh, heavens. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is that they're so, they're so broken and so shattered that they're not able to hold down a job because of the traumas that have happened. That, and it's not the trauma itself. It's a side effect. It's the anxiety. It's the panic. It's the, you name it. It's all those symptoms that go along with what has happened. And, and now they're going to be super fearful of a certain population while they're going into that population to, to hold down a job. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. So um, thank God that there is that disability for them so that they can have a roof over their head and food in their stomach. Yeah, and thank and, you, you know, to you, too, for all the work that you do. Um, I know we didn't get into all the programs that you do, but, I mean, you've, like, dedicated your life to this. Uh, well, you know what? I couldn't serve in the military, but this is how I can serve you. Well, it's thank you. Mm. My um, pleasure. I do, totally my pleasure. I do want to uh, make sure that we know where to find GI Josie. So could you give us the website? And then you are on Facebook, correct? 
And we're on Facebook, Jerry Josie, uh, TH, GI Josie, which for transitional housing, GI Josie, TH. Um, website is GIJosie.org. Um, let's see. What else? We, uh, we're just, I'm, I'm, I'm such a neophyte when it comes to social media, and I, that's an embarrassment to say that in this day and age, but I really am. I absolutely so, hate social um, media, so it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's a so, necessary evil right now. Yeah, it, it insanely is. So anyway, so I've just, we're just getting into LinkedIn and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And that'll all be on the website when it's all set up and said and done. And for so. our listeners, you can check out my Facebook page and I will have up Laura Beth's uh, GI Josie uh, information on the website and her links to her social media. So and you can check is. her out. And one more okay. thing. LB at... at Wait, wait, lb at gijosie.org if anyone wants to email me. I'm, I am all ears to anyone who wants to talk. And one final thing, because um, you know, of course, you know you're on the Carry On podcast. So I would yes. like to ask you, um, I ask all my guests this, uh, is there one moment in your life or one moment that you'd like to talk about that was a carry-on moment for you where you it was hard for you to carry on, but you did carry on and you look back at it now and you're like, I'm a badass bitch for carrying on. <laughs> uh, this one made me cry. Is that okay? You can cry. Um, it's all right. <laughs> I was, um, when I turned 30, I was diagnosed with very severe asthma and it got to the point where I was in the hospital more than I was out of the hospital. And, um, and I was put on permanent disability at the time. My girls were, um, young, 10 and 12, 12, 12 and 14, 12 and 14. Um, and their dad walked out on the three of us, uh, two days before Christmas. And I was on complete disability. I was um, I was a color blue all the time. It was it was a challenge, um, and it was uh, it, it, my girls my girls saved my life. To be honest with you, there was um, I was I was there to make sure that that they survived and that was it. it like I mentioned before that, that my daughter had challenges growing up and, and it was a result of that. Um, but we survived together. We were pillars together and we, we made it together. And that's why my girls are as strong as they are. That's why I, I'm just so proud of both of them. And, um, and yeah, and I'm able to look back and go, we did it, we got through it. Didn't know at that time, we didn't think we would. But um, we, there were, there's a lot of good people out there who help people who are at rock bottom, and we found those people, and they helped us. They helped us survive. And like I said, it was the three of us against the world, and um, and and we made it happen. Well, thank you That's for sharing. That's yeah. And I would also imagine that that uh, that experience has helped you deal with um, work with the women that you work with now, because a lot of them are at rock bottom, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We lost, we lost everything. I, I lost my house, my car, my job, my health within, you know, within a few months, it was all gone. And so, um, and so, yeah. And I feel badly that my girls had to go through that and, and they had to, because I was so, so sick that they had to be my mom. Basically there was a lot of things they had to do that I couldn't do. Um, um, but I think, as I was saying, I, I really and truly think that the universe put it together like that because it made my girls as strong as they are right now and as successful as they are right now. So, um, so in a way, I, I thank my ex-husband for doing that. Thank he, this, you. He created two badass, two badass women. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is yep. such a good story. So, cry. <laughs> okay, you can cry. So. I didn't know I was going to have to share that. <laughs> I told you, but maybe not. My bad. I'm sorry. Oh, but thank you for sharing, though. That's okay. Yeah, yeah life absolutely. can def- definitely absolutely. It can be done. Yeah. Life can throw some some really hard things at us. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and that yeah. is one of the reasons. And you're right. Why. You look back. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I well, just I mean, say you look back and you, and you go, how the heck did I get through that? 
How did I do that? Why am I here today? Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the thinking behind the podcast is that um, a lot of times we don't have a choice but to carry on, but that carry on portion is, can be so difficult. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, you have to look back and think of the, how much stronger that made you, but at the time it's, it can be devastating. So. Oh yeah, it was, it was horrible, but that's okay. We crawled back out and, and we're all survivors. So yeah, so we, we're doing okay. Yeah. Look at, so, now, now I, like, I get to help. Now I get to help others. That's, okay. that's my job right now is to help others. I've been there. I don't want anyone else to see the bottom. It's just, it's an ugly place to be. So if I can help, if, if I can keep them from that bottom rung, then that's my job. And you do such a good job at it too, because I, I don't think we talked about this earlier in the podcast. I, I mean, I've done some volunteer work with you and you're just always there and you're amazing. And I've seen you drag women out of bed. <laughs> I may have been one of them, <laughs> um, but you're like, I'm going to pick you up and you're going to put clothes on today or an outfit that you can wear outside of the house and you're going to go do this or, you know, I would like mm -hmm. you to do this. So you definitely yeah. uh, exude that that personality and compassion to do that. And a lot of people can't do that and aren't able to. So I commend you for that. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. But everyone needs to know everybody, not just the women in Josie, but everybody needs to know that somebody has their back. And a lot of these women that we, that we work with that are in our organization are away from family. They're away from friends. Um, they now obviously super isolated, um, and they feel like they're alone and they need to know that they're not alone. They're so not alone. So we, if no one else has their back, we will have their back for any reason. And I would imagine that you have a lot of things planned for January and a lot of things planned for the future, but yeah, I can imagine it's very hard at the time to to keep that spirit alive, right? The, the things that are coming, the good things that are coming. A lot of silver linings though. And, and one of the silver linings is I probably would not have thought about this platform for women had it not been for, for COVID. So I think, if, I think if everyone looks really hard that they'll find silver linings in what's going on. You know, in my opinion, the universe is, is always right. The universe puts it together the way it's supposed to be put together. And I, and I think there's a lesson that we're supposed to learn from this and everyone's lesson is going to be different. Um, mine is that there are other ways to get the job done and there are other ways to support women. And we're just going to find those ways to do that. Yeah, and I think with telling women's stories um, and they don't have to be identified, I think that you'll find a lot more hands raising to tell their stories, stories. That I hope you, so. You wouldn't, like you said, if COVID hadn't come and this wasn't the new medium that we were doing things, um, that you wouldn't, wouldn't have otherwise told their stories. So, I mean, what it can blossom right. into, it could right. will be right. amazing. Exactly. And how cathartic is that going to be? Just getting it out of your system. Just how, how good is that going to make you feel? And there's not going to be a time limit. They want to talk for two hours about what happened to them. That's fine. If they want to talk for 10 minutes, that's fine. It's what they need. It's their comfort level. But just getting out of your system and being able to even crying it out. It's just like, it's just so therapeutic to be able to do that. So, and that's what right now, that's what I want to give, uh, give the women. And you're going to have to keep me updated too, so that we can post uh, that one when, when you do do it and you put it online, let me know and we'll post it on LinkedIn and we'll post oh, it. Oh, that would be great. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, and on top of that, when, when women start telling their stories, it will embolden other women to go, I need to do that. I want to share. And so I, I'm hoping it'll just mushroom so that we can get as many women as possible out there. Because you know what? That's going to strengthen Jackie Spears' bill. That's going to strengthen what's going on up in Washington when all these women can come out and go, this happened to me and this happened to me and this happened to me. And Jackie Spears is going to go, uh -huh, see? told you, you know, so, um, and it's not that I'm doing it for her. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is it's going to provide that validation that, yeah, all these women have been behind closed doors and in hiding for this reason alone. 
And even if, even if the woman doesn't come forward, that they can hear someone else's stories and just not feel so alone and know that, that hey, right. this happened to someone else too. And, and oh my gosh, yeah. like I wasn't the yeah. only one that this happened to and I'm not alone. So right. that can also be a way to bring right. people out of isolation or to just hear that, at the, like you said, that they're not alone and there is mm-hmm. someone else there. Right. Right. It's huge. It, that's huge for, for mental health to know that you're you're not you're isolated physically because we have to be but you're not not isolated as far as your um experiences um there are others that have unfortunately gone through the same thing all right well thank you for being here today and check out uh, oh, thank you carrie on facebook's page and you'll see all of laura beth's um We'll put up we'll put up all your social media and your website and keep us updated and, and thank you so much for talking with us today. I shall. All right. Oh, so- thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. So good to talk to you. All right, thank you.